Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Uh, Brian, Chad from North Dakota posted a photo. He's planting soybeans in North Dakota around a wet spot. Are we at that point in the planting season where, you know what, if you can get 80% of the field done, go ahead and take the 80% while you can? Well, that's up to every individual farmer. That's hard to say. I'm not going to make that call for anybody. But I, I will say this. There are a lot of people out there right now that are, well, I, I'll just give you an example. This morning I was talking to a farmer and he goes, boy, it's hard to stay positive. And I bet he said that three times in our short conversation. <laughs> I go, well, let's hold up just one second here. Okay, number one, on our farm last year, we didn't get anything in the ground till May 5th. If we miss, there, there's a slight chance of a little sprinkle this afternoon. If we miss that, we're going to be planting all day tomorrow. And maybe, well, probably not yet today, but definitely all day tomorrow. So I, I said, we're already at least a couple days ahead of last year. And I don't know. I mean, that's it's not that bad. Last year, we had phenomenal yields. Plus, when I look outside, it, we're close. So if the rain just stops and the temperature warms up for just a little bit, we're rolling. And by the way, I mean, let's compare planters today versus what we had and what you had 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, I guess I got a lot bigger and faster planter. Yeah, so do we. So we can get a lot more done in a day compared to then. And I, I just said, you know, in my life, what I've, what I've learned on the farm is this. If we're just ready to go and we're there the first day or one of the very first days when things are ready, we, we're always able to get it done. It, it works out fine. I, but I said, you know, do I love it that we have barely gotten going now? No, I would like to have all my corn in and all my beans in by now, but that's just the way it is. We just weren't able to do it. I, I mean, we work with Mother Nature, so sometimes these kind of things happen. But just be ready. You'll have some time. It'll be fine. Also, Darren was mentioning this morning there's some big prevent plant meeting. And I said, prevent plant, look outside. We're, we're literally hours away from going on 90% of our acres. So, yes, I mean, it's important to know what the options are. Don't get me wrong. But if we're already thinking, well, I'm just going to go prevent plant, um, it's pretty early for that yet. So we as farmers have got to be ready to go. And, you know, yeah, it, there is at least that option. And we know that that's out there for a lot of people. So that's nice. But I'm still going with plan A on our farm. All right. I think we're ready for the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Jamie wrote in, uh, heard us talking about nitrogen and how to figure out how much nitrogen your corn actually needs. And Jamie says, hey, excellent explanation as always. Hey, thanks, Jamie. Really appreciate that. But Dave saw it a little bit different. So we got a question from Dave. I I thought we got kind of windy with it. But anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Well, uh, one of us get a little windy. But anyway, uh, Dave says, I'm wondering if I have enough nitrogen for this year's conditions. I put on 165 pounds with fall anhydrous. I usually come back with 30 pounds of liquid when I put my herbicide out. Now, with the lack of the trade deal with China and such low commodity prices, when do I stop spending money? 
This is corn on bean ground, heavy black soil, 4 to 5% organic matter, and I'm usually getting a yield of 230 to 245 bushels. I've applied lime and PNK as normal with my grid sampling. We'll apply fungicide at tasseling time too. Okay, so first of all, uh, uh, this is this isn't you're, when you hear this, you're going to say, "Well, that's not right." Uh, I don't care what's going on with the commodity markets. I, I do care, but here's where I'm going with this. It doesn't matter if corn price the corn price is three dollars or it's eight dollars who cares what we care about is let's look at each individual thing we can do and is that going to make us money where i'm going with this is i don't care if you're rich or you're poor if there is something you can do to your crop that helps increase the net profit then why wouldn't you do that 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 that's all i'm trying to say here so uh, let's take that whole China thing and the markets and everything else out of the equation for just one second and talk about this nitrogen deal. He put some nitrogen on in the fall. It all depends on how heavy that ground is. You said yours is heavy. Then it depends on what do we what do we have for rainfall since fall and how much did it move down in the ground when the ground was not frozen. I can't answer that question. Only you can. Now you could go out and do some testing if you wanted to and that's usually what we encourage people to do about pre-side dress nitrate time. So I'm still going to suggest you do the same thing that you normally do. I don't know that you've necessarily lost any more than normal. But I do encourage you, do some pre-side dress nitrate testing. And then you'll have a pretty good idea what you're going to need as you go through the rest of the season. And then, again, just let's focus on how much does that nitrogen cost and the cost to apply it and what's my potential yield gain from that and weigh those things out if the cost is going to be greater or equal to the yield gain then we obviously don't want to do it all right get a tissue sample in from glenn and he was wondering about what we think about applying more calcium onto the crop. He said, I'm wondering if I should be putting some calcium nitrate on this corn. The tissue test comes back short in calcium, and they recommend I consider applying 1,000 pounds of gypsum or liming if my pH is off. pH is in the sixes, though, so I'm pretty happy with that, and my base saturation calcium really runs in the 60s for the most part. Do you think I need more calcium out there? Should I just foliar feed a little bit of calcium nitrate, or should I be putting on a large dose on the Soil. Well, I don't know that that's necessarily the problem. Here's what the problem is. I'm looking at his soil tests and I'm seeing as high as 24% sodium. I, to be honest, I'm surprised you can raise anything there. Um, even the lowest level that I see here is 3.5% sodium. If that's correct, then that's what you've got to address. That means you've most likely either got a drainage problem, you've been applying too much manure, or your irrigation water that you've got is really high on sodium. Somehow, some way, you got to address the sodium issue. Hey, Glenn, thanks for the question. And it's really good when you do plant tissue analysis and soil samples to determine issues like this. Sodium really stands out. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Efficiency is important to the bottom line, but your nitrogen program can be a challenge, as rainfall can leach nitrogen needed for a profitable crop right out of the root zone. Applied with UAN fertilizer, Proximus from Actigrow is proven to reduce nitrate leaching up to 69% and increase nitrogen use efficiency. To improve your yield, ask your ag retailer for Proximus with your next UAN purchase or visit StopLeaching.com. 
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgriLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday, taking your calls and questions throughout the show today. We'd love to hear how things are going in your area. And uh, if you're right in the middle of planting, love to hear how that's going for you. Also, if you've already got crops that are up and growing, uh, pretty fun to hear about those things too, especially when we're struggling to get our crops in or we farm. Got Wade with us down in Texas right now. Wade, how's it going on your farm? It's better than it's been in years. Awesome. That's really good to hear. I know you've had some really extreme weather the last couple of years here. Uh, what's uh, what's this year dealing you? Well, we were really wet in the fall. We had some trouble getting our uh, cotton out. Early crops we got out just fine, but uh, that moisture kind of cut off, and we got to worrying about it for about two months at the first of the year, but we've uh, got really timely planting rains now, and uh, like I say, we're in we're in better shape than any year I can think of since about 2010 to to get a crop started, and we've got underground moisture and, and things looking looking really positive on the growing side of things. Yeah, it's nice when you get that moisture in the soil. You know, you've at least got a shot at things here, and it. Yeah, I don't know, just looking at, at what you've had. Let's see, we've got kind of some moderate weather through there this spring, which which is pretty good when you're trying to get things started. Are you, Where are you at uh, with, with progress? What have you got in the ground, and what have you got left to go? Uh, corn's in, corn's up. It's uh, four to six inches. It's a little bit late for what we like, but it's it's all right. The, uh, the peanuts are in and... Uh, most of the fields, we've got a good stand. The others are coming. Not any problem with that. We started cotton this week. Uh, actually saw some cotton breaking down ground in three days, which is kind of surprising me. I didn't think we were quite warm enough for that quick a germination and emergence. But, but like I said, things just seem to be really right. And then it, the promise of a good crop, you know, it just seems like when everything goes right it all goes right do you so have, far right now it is do you have any insight on on what's happening with soybeans overseas and marketing and so forth you got anything new that you've been learning 
Well, you know, a lot of a lot of the people concentrate on China. We in our area in Texas, we really concentrate on Mexico. Uh, the demand down there has really still been very strong. There, uh, there's a lot of the exporters that export to Mexico that are really uh, favorable towards us, and they uh, and they look to keep us in the market. You know, I, I I've probably been the most optimistic of anybody on the soybean board that we'll get things fixed in China, and I and I really. You know, I don't know how much longer it'll take, but I'm really sure that when we come out the backside, I think it's going to be better for all of us in agriculture, and that really affects the people in my area because it's uh, it's grain, sorghum, cotton, and soybeans all that are, are you know major export crops that go over there, and so maybe we can get everything fixed right, get it to where we can move forward in a in a freer and fairer market. That would sure be good. And and that's why we got you on, Wade. It's that optimism that we like to hear about here. And you know, you mentioned cotton as well. I've heard I've heard quite a few guys kind of optimistic on cotton. Is is there still that same sort of sentiment around you? Uh, it's really uh, optimistic around me. We're uh, of course, you know, when you've got the possibility of having a good crop, that always helps, but uh, a lot of what we're hearing from overseas and from some of the buyers and stuff is that it looks as though there's going to be some more demand for cotton as we move forward, and maybe we can get the prices up to a level that really makes it uh, profitable for the guys down here. You know, irrigated, you can make money on. It's the dryland guys that I really worry about. We, we really got to watch the cost. And, and you know, the last couple of years, if you looked at things, even with good weather, they were looking at a loss in the best of circumstances. And, and this year, you know, with the weather we've got and the possibility of of what I think are going to be some maybe 10 to 15 cent higher prices is it's going to be a lot better deal for the farmers and uh, I know this part of the world down here in in West Texas sure needs needs to have a good year because there's so many guys that that have really struggled since about 2011 that really need a good shot with not only good prices but a good crop you bet. Well, we're praying for you, Wade. We really hope you get that this year. I know it's been uh, been kind of tough, but real good to hear you optimistic, and, and thanks for sharing everything today. Oh, you're welcome, and I uh, hope everybody else gets to get their crops in. It's been a been a tough year for all my buddies up to the east and north of me. I know how it is, and uh, I hate to... I hate to be on kind of bragging that we've been able to get everything in timely and it's doing so good. Well, that's okay. You kind of deserve it. I think it's your turn, Wade. So, <laughs> well, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. And thank you. You bet. Got Eddie with us right now over in Kentucky. Eddie, how's it going for you? It's going pretty good, Darren. How are you today? Not too bad at all. What uh, What's your crop looking like? You got everything in the ground yet? No, I don't have any. I've, I've got about a... 120 acres of corn in the ground. I pushed hard all week. We got a dry window, and then the rain come last night, rained me out. So we're just waiting for the rain to pass, and and uh, we'll try to get back at it. But uh, we've got the earliest corn around here is probably about two collar. Okay, is uh, all I've seen. So uh, and the, those are the early, early guys. A lot of guys. Most of us still haven't got our crop in yet. 
Yeah, it's been a been a challenge this year. We got a couple of fields in the ground, but nothing nothing emerging or even thinking about emerging just yet. Yeah. So we <laughs> we don't feel like we're behind anybody here either. But but still, we want to get rolling. So what comes what comes next? Do you plant all the corn first, and then you move on to other crops? Yeah, we plant the we try to get the corn in the ground first and get it sprayed and get it done because it's in this year it's in the river bottoms, and when they get wet, they get wet, but. I did, uh, hearing you boys talk about the tiling, I did spend some money uh, a winter ago, not this past winter, but it been a year ago, October, put some tile lines in, and man, can I tell the difference. You can you can plant right over the corn. I tried to get them back this fall to do some more, and it was so late in the year that didn't give me any time, and that ground, I could barely get the tractor over, and the tile ground, it was just smooth sailing, so it was well worth the money. Outstanding. That's so good to hear. I know we, uh, last fall, we had trouble getting field work done, fertility work done, lots of stuff that we were trying to do. We just focused on the tiling and tried to get as many of those projects done as possible. And here we go. We got a super wet spring. We're really happy we invested our time in that. Yeah, it's definitely one of those deals where it costs, but the return on investment is going to be tremendous for years to come. And uh, we did get about I had some super wet ground in, and they did get that that done for me, but uh, it wasn't nowhere near what I wanted to get done. But there's always next year, so we'll just uh, suffer through it. It's about 30 acres left is all I've got to tile. But like I said, it was super wet, super wet. And I'm, it's it's when you're sitting there planting, and you know what it could have been if you got the tile lines in. It really breaks your heart to know what it could have been. But you know, it will it will get there. So. Yep, that's right. There's there's always next year, and and honestly, sometimes you you say, well, uh, now I can now I can see the difference. I'm even more sold that this was a really good idea. So yeah. not not yeah. bad uh, entirely, I guess, to have a check strip or right. a check field or whatnot. But yeah, it's kind of yeah. fun. And you think about not only uh, hey, I can get in the field, I can get all the way through the field. I'm not getting stuck. Uh, but but now, hey, I got planted a week ahead or two weeks ahead of some of these other fields, and that's going to make a big yield difference every year that, that we're wet in the spring like this. Yeah, that, uh, I think the last time I talked to y'all, I was going to add a litter truck to the operation, and I added the truck. And uh, I noticed on the spiked closing wheels that, you know, the, the grass kind of clumps up and you have to clean them every so often. Well, the... The litter smell is, was on my hands where it was in the ground. So <laughs> I know that that's going to work. You know, you know, you go through that week of, of, of odor after you apply it, and you think, well, is it still here or is it not? But after cleaning the spike wheels off, I realized <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, it's still here <laughs> in a big way. Well, that's, that's good that it's under the ground and, and uh, that you don't just smell it coming up to the field, something fierce. So, yeah, I, I think yeah. it's good. You know, when we, we can utilize uh, uh, litter and manure and compost and those types of things in our program, uh, sure is a, a good potential for saving some money. And also, I, I like the kind of controlled release in that a lot of that fertilizer is available up front, but there's more that's going to be available down the road. And, Eddie, I'm so excited for you with the with the tile that you got working for you and now the litter going to. Uh, good luck here as you finish up planting. Well, I thank you, Darren. And I know y'all have had a rough, rough spring. Uh, good luck to y'all, too. You bet. Thank you very much. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. 
Pushing any benefit from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, they're able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Ideal for herbicide applications, the Ultra Low Drift's large air inducted droplets were designed to eliminate driftable fines without sacrificing coverage. Its thick three-dimensional pattern creates multiple angles for the spray to cover the target. Hypro, helping you spray better. When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation. And patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grayson Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Grayson Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstoss.com to learn more about Grayson Next. Always read and follow label directions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and questions throughout the whole show. If you would like to be a part of the show, just call us at 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Let's head over to Indiana. we got Rex with us right now. Rex, how's it going? Oh, not too bad. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, field work getting done in your area? Well, not really. We uh, we got about three and a half, four inches of rain, depending on where you were the last two days here. Yep, that seems to be a recurring story as we travel around the country. Uh, so have you got anything in the ground already? Uh, there's a few guys around the area. I don't have anything in yet other than the returning hay crop. Uh, but I don't have anything in yet. There's a few guys that were just just starting to roll maybe 20, 25 acres 
I think they kind of were a little bit thankful because they were able to make some adjustments on the planners and stuff like that. But sure, sure. Most of it was just still pre-plant field work going on. And like I said, a few guys are just starting. The first guys out every year anyways were just starting. So we're, we're not too far behind. Sure. A lot of water now, but... Now, tell me about the hay crop, Rex. What is that looking like? Did it survive the winter pretty well, and is it thriving with all this rain, or has it just been too much for that, too? Uh, I've got some stuff at my house, uh, stuff I put in about four years. This will be the fourth year on it now, some alfalfa. I've got it on some high ground. It's a real winter hardy. It's actually meant for, like, up by you guys, but... We had that polar vortex come through, and it kind of scalped the hill, and I was kind of worried about it. But I got out and looked at, looked at it. It's coming in real nice. The whole field all the way across is about ankle high right now, which that's that's about perfect for me where I'd like it to be right now. Yeah, that's right. And then the grass at my house, it's a little bit lower ground. Uh, I got a corner flooded out right now. We'll see what it does. Like I said, it's just grass in that corner it, it always has been it's kind of one of those corners it needs some tile work but i really don't have anywhere for the tile to drain to it's kind of lowest point in the whole area so yeah i wish you had brian farming next to you we could drain it on to him yeah that'd be nice <laughs> actually the, the neighbor right around the corner he's he's the tile man he said oh he said we can run it i said where do you want to run it to i said i'm the bottom of the ditch <laughs> Yeah, it kind of stinks. We've got some of that too. That's kind of the low of the area, and you end up having to pump it. And and I don't know what your situation is. Ours ours doesn't have to get lifted too much, but but uh, it's got to get lifted a few feet to get out of one of our fields anyway. And we got another field that we got to probably. Well, actually, we got two more fields that could really use lift stations too to to get things to move. Yeah, it gets to be a challenge. We we always encourage guys start with all the high stuff first. That uh, okay, it needs some help, but. But uh, the help isn't that difficult, and then yeah, those extremely difficult projects—they uh, generally wait till last. Yeah, and that's what this is. It—it's it, such a challenge. It's not really worth the money. But I found out it grows fence posts really well, so I put a bunch of fence posts around it, and the wife turns her her hay burners out on it. I mean, her horses. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. You know, there's there's different uses for uh, each piece of ground and and some that make more money than others and some that are just kind of pretty to look at. So it sounds like you got one of those too. Well, Rex, uh, good luck to you. Hopefully it dries out here and the sun comes out. I know there's a pretty big area of the country that really needs that and maybe uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll get that. Yeah, uh, it come out today. It's Everything's starting to dry up actually really nice today. So if we got a couple more days like this, we'd probably be guys that start really itching to get right back in there. So You bet. Well, good luck and stay safe this spring, Rex. Thank you. You guys, too. We've got Gabriel on right now with us over in Missouri. Gabriel, how's it going? Oh, doing, doing fine. We're a little wet, but other than that, we're doing good. Awesome. Awesome. You know, uh, the, the wet can change hopefully i guess here as as we move on have you got anything in the ground and is it suffering from the wet i know some of the guys we've talked to down in arkansas for example have had to replant because they got stuff in and then got wet yeah we we're all two-thirds three-quarters done with our with our corn and and you know 
where we planted it was the higher dry ground, so to speak. So most of it is fine. I'm looking at a cornfield right now that it's oh, it's boot top tall. It's oh, you know, awesome, fair sized corn. But uh, I mean, so far we've been fairly fortunate. Awesome, yeah, you know, and that's true. We we're in the same boat. We got a couple of fields in the ground, and they aren't out of the ground yet. But I'm not too worried about them because they're up uh, and not uh, not down on the river bottom. If we had stuff on the river bottom, it would be uh, it would be gone. Yeah, yeah, where we are, it's. I mean, you you can go 50 miles or 40 to the east, and you're at the Mississippi River, but there's really not any river ground right close. But I know they're they're pretty wet, and uh, I mean, as as a whole, this area is definitely wet. Uh, we just had, I just dumped out two and three quarter inches. Uh, I believe it ended yesterday evening, right right about dark. So looks like we're going to get more, and we don't really need it. No, no, I wish you'd just wait and come back midsummer here. It'd be a lot more fun. But, okay, so you got a good share of the corn in. Are you going to keep planting corn, or are you going to still plant the same number of bean acres that you you usually would? Well, this is our year. Last year we had, I had all beans. My dad had some corn, obviously. But, no, we're, (laughs) with the price of the soybeans, we're going to try to get most of the corn in. I mean, yep not real uh uh, encouraging to want to plant any eight dollar soybeans no we were thinking about it too just going into this year about how uh, a number of guys had said man if we get a dry spring i'm going to plant corn and i'm not going to stop i'm going to probably put more acres in and uh, the way it's turning out this year we'll we'll be happy to just get the (laughs) the amount of corn acres we had planned to put in but uh, but yeah, it's kind of fun just thinking about uh, these acre shifts. And I know some of the guys south of you talked about putting in more cotton this year, and uh, certainly there'll be a little bit of movement around the country. Yeah, yeah, where we are, you know, I'm in northern Boot Hill, so to speak, and there's cotton. I mean, I'm looking at corn across the ditch is cotton. I mean, it's not planted, but that will be in cotton. So, I mean, we're about as far north as the majority of the cotton acres go, but I. I'm not hearing too many people. I'm hearing people wanting to plant their corn, which understandably so, you know, because yep. I know, you know, nobody else is planting. So I don't, people are just not real crazy about wanting to plant any beans. I mean, there's beans planted, but they want to get their corn planted. Yep. Yep. Totally get that. Okay. Uh, so talk to me about weed control then, because uh, I know the boot heel really struggles with some of these resistant weeds that you've got. Corn sure makes that a whole lot easier to get them under control. Oh, it does. It does. We definitely have we definitely have the pigweeds, the resistant pigweeds, no doubt. Uh, I so far everything has been sprayed with Acuron and uh, uh, Atrazine at a full rate and clean as a pen, you know. So I mean, and and if you look at some fields that have not been sprayed, which most everything's either been worked or sprayed, you can see that reddish tint of the pigweeds coming. Uh, of course, we haven't had we've had a spring. A lot of times we go just from spring or from winter to summer, but we've had spring. We've had two two weeks ago tonight. I had fire in my fireplace, and uh, <laughs> it's 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 none too it's none too warm. You know, it, it's been, we've had some sub, upper seventies, lower eighties, just very little, but uh, a lot of upper seventies. And the pigweeds are they're they're coming. You know, I think you but, hit on something like right on the money there, Gabriel. That we actually got spring this year. Usually it goes right yeah, to summer. So right. everybody's saying, "Oh, it's really cool." It's like, no, this is actually spring. Yeah, and we haven't we haven't had that you know in majority of the last few years. Most of the time, you just go from winter to summer. 
Yep. Yeah. It's been the same kind of thing up here too, especially last year. Wow. We were, we were warm. Uh, as soon as May got started, we got really warm and this year, definitely not going to be the case. Well, Gabriel, uh, thanks for, thanks for calling in. We really appreciate it. Hopefully uh, everything goes well for you as you get the rest of that corn in and, and things turn out good for you this year. You bet. Same to you guys. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and questions throughout the show today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty, or just send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. White mold, sudden death syndrome, root rot. If you raise soybeans, it may seem like you have all the cards stacked against you when it comes to disease. But did you know there is a new cost-effective seed treatment which can help prevent all three? Heads Up Seed Treatment offers a new proactive approach for dealing with fungal and bacterial diseases. Compatible with other seed treatments, hedge your bet against disease this spring. Ask your dealer for Heads Up today. To locate a dealer, visit headsupst.com. Think about a quarter inch of rain. That's all it takes to activate Armazon Pro Herbicide in your corn and protect against weeds. Now think about a full inch of rain, the amount most other herbicides require for activation. How long will you have to wait to get that? The weeds hope you'll choose another herbicide. Your corn hopes you choose Armazon Pro Herbicide. Pick a winner. Talk to your BASF rep about Armazon Pro Herbicide today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. This is one commercial for two herbicides, so we'll have to make this quick, okay? Here goes. Satellite HydroCap is great for pre-emergent control of grasses and broadleaf weeds and has a long residual life. New Satellite Flax, featuring UPL's patented transverse technology, delivers a high level of active ingredient over an extended soil coverage area. Both offer excellent mixing and handling characteristics and are valuable options for your resistant management plants. Whew. For more information on satellite herbicides, contact your crop protection consultant or your dealer. Always read and follow label directions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, it's Farmer Friday on our show today. 
means we're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Had some fun today so far talking to growers in Texas and Kentucky, uh, Indiana, Missouri, uh, just kind of all over, and we'd love to hear from you as well. So if you get a chance, give us a call. I uh, got an email that came in. This is from Josh, and he said, I've got a question about cation exchange capacity. I pull 8-inch soil tests, and my cation exchange capacity number is anywhere between 8 and 10. So if I understand what you say about nitrogen holding capacity, I just multiply that times 10, so I could hold 80 to 100 pounds of nitrogen at any one time. My question for you is, if the soil can only hold 80 to 100 pounds in that 8 inches of depth of soil, Is that it, or is that really for the whole soil profile that I can only hold eight to hundred pounds, eighty to hundred pounds? We're usually talking the whole soil profile, and here's the thing: this is not an exact number. The reason, well, let me just step back for for a second. Agriculture is ridiculously complicated, even though a lot of people in the general public and the media will portray farmers and agriculture as simple. If you're involved in agriculture, you know that it is unbelievably complicated. You've got to get biology and chemistry and math. And, I mean, you could have doctorate-level degrees in all these things, and you still wouldn't be a good farmer if you don't really work at it for a long period of time. So you see where I'm going with this. What we, what we try to do at Ag PhD all the time is take, make the complex simple. So, yes, I realize it's not going to be exactly right, but we're not going to run through formulas for an hour on the show just to figure out one number. We got to go quick. We got a lot of things to do on the farm. And so, by saying 10 times your CEC, that's going to get you close. Now, could it be 11 or 12 sometimes? Could it be 8 or 9 sometimes? Sure, it could. Is it also possible that in your soil, You have an 8 to 10 CEC in your top 8 inches, maybe even in your top 12 inches. But your next 12 inches might have a CEC of 20. So, you know, you could theoretically hold a little bit more down a little deeper. You know, all those things are true. We're just talking about if you get a CEC number, then you have some kind of roadmap on where you need to take your nitrogen applications. And when it says 8 to 10, then we just don't want you getting... 200 units of nitrogen out there because the odds are pretty high that with rainfall, you're going to lose a bunch of that nitrogen and that's not good for the environment. And it's especially not good for your pocketbook. So no, we would just say eight to 10, that's the soil profile, but don't add in, let's say you do a deep test. Let's say you tested 12 to 24 inches and you find out, well, I got 30 more pounds there, 20 more pounds there. You don't have to subtract that off or anything. We're just not going to worry about that. We're just focused on that top zone where the majority of your roots are at. All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. All right, Brian, we get weed ID questions in from time to time and uh, got one in that that looks kind of interesting. It's this Justin and Justin's got a couple of questions here. So he's got a herbicide that has a bunch of different active ingredients in it and he wants to know a little bit more about that. Uh, and he said, okay, I know you're doing large scale farming. This is, this is in my garden here, but I'm wondering if you know what this weed of the week is. I I think it looks like morning glory to me, but wondering what you think. Uh, this is just coming up where I tilled in compost. So I'm wondering if it came with the compost. 
Also, there's a little bit of grass out there in my garden area. I'm wondering what you would suggest to kill the weed that's in these pictures and then the grass and still be able to plant in the next week or two. Okay, you just came up with uh, about four or five questions there. So I tried to write them down as, as we went. Hopefully I can get these covered. To begin with, could it have come from the compost? Well, is if it was truly composted, the odds are slim. Because when it's truly composted, the temperature goes up so much and a lot of the weed seeds die. So it's not likely, but it's certainly possible. What it could also be is when it's near a tree... And from what I saw in the picture, it's kind of a shaded area. And there are a lot of plants that don't like semi-shaded areas. So maybe with this plant, it's growing because of that. Uh, the weed you've got, what it looks like to me is spotted dead nettle. That's a little different than purple dead nettle. That it, we, well, Oh, wait, you're a different one. one that looks oh. like hemp dog. Oh, okay. So I thought we were on... You're confusing me with that. Yeah, you Sorry. He, 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 during the I break, Darren showed me, or even the last segment, Darren well, goes, I got another hey, weed that we're going to do next. Is. Okay, so you didn't tell me which was which. All right, so that that's hemp dogbane. With hemp dogbane, that is best controlled with Roundup. And if it was me, I'm spraying nothing other than Roundup there. If it's in a lawn situation, I'm going to let the hemp dogbane get up above everything, which it usually will pretty quickly. And then I'm going to use some type of wiper over the top, and that's how I would get it under control. So that's the best way to go. Okay, so is this is also this thing that you handed me, Darren, is this part of this question? Yes. Then then he wondered okay. about that herbicide. Right. If that would be effective for him controlling the grass and also controlling what we believe is hemp dogbane. Okay, so, yep. So what Darren handed me here is this sheet uh, well it's a picture of a label and here's what's in it triclopyr that's remedy that is a brush killer that has no residual uh, sulfentrazone that's authority that is a broadleaf killer that does have residual and some contact activity 2,4-D and dicamba so is any of that going to kill grass no it's not is any of this going to kill hemp dogbane um, it will burn it to the ground, but that's the best you're going to do. It's not going to permanently kill it. Use Roundup instead. All right. We cover that one. Anything else there? I think so. I think you're okay on that, Brian. All, All right. right. Now let's go now, to, let's let's go go to, to our next one. This one comes from Pat. Man. And Pat, yes. Pat's got a picture, and it looks like this is growing uh, maybe in his yard, uh, right in next his landscaping, to next to a tree, next to a fence. Here's the problem. When you're next to a tree and you're in a residential situation, that means Tordon's out. That most likely means Milestone is out. Uh, those are two really good. And it's not purple dead nettle. It's it's what? Spotted dead nettle. Spotted dead nettle. It, that's what it looks like to me. But anyway, purple dead nettle we've occasionally talked about on TV. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the radio before. But anyway, with purple dead nettle, that's more common. That's usually a winter annual. With this spotted dead nettle, this is a perennial plant. Now, you may not call it a weed. I call anything a weed that's growing where I don't want it to grow. If I'm going to go kill that next to a tree and I can't use Tordon, I can't use Milestone, what am I going to use? Probably just going to go burn down with Freelix. That's the new 2,4-D that's low drift. And that kind of goes back to the last question I had too, where you've got dicamba and 2,4 old 2,4-D in a lawn situation. 
you better not have any sensitive plants nearby, otherwise you're taking tremendous risk. So what I do in, in this case is I would go to Freelex, the low drift, low volatility, new 2,4-D. It's dramatic improvement over the old 2,4-D in terms of reducing drift and volatility. Anyway, I'm going to go hit that two or three times a year until it disappears on me. But again, I come back to something I said a few minutes ago about some plants can grow better when there's not a lot of shade or when there is somewhat, it's a somewhat shaded area. So if you want grass to be growing there instead of this weed, then you're going to have to find some grass species that will grow and they don't have ideal light all the time because there's a tree around it. All right. Yeah, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. And what yeah, do you do it's when not you're that in those tough. situations? Oh, it's not that tough. I just told you what to do. You go Freelex, then you go get some grass that will handle a somewhat shaded area and problem solved. You got it. All right. Well, uh, good luck with that. Uh, you know, a lot of these weeds that, that we're talking about here, if you find something that's unusual, uh, especially if you notice that it's a perennial or it's got uh, a rhizome system running underneath the ground and more weeds popping up all over, you just have to get after that. So so don't wait. If you see something like that coming, if you need some help, uh, there's a lot of different ways to get help on weed identification. You can certainly send us a picture. Many of them will figure out what it is. Uh, occasionally we won't, but uh, most of the time we will. And it's kind of fun actually uh, trying to figure those things out before they become big problems for you. It is Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. You can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Or just give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD to join the discussion. We'll be right back after this. Decisions, decisions. Soybean and corn growers have to make a million of them every year. So UPL has narrowed your herbicide decision a little by creating Moccasin 2+. You see, Moccasin 2 Plus works with every variety and trait of soybean seed and provides long-lasting pre-emergent control of multiple annual grasses and small seeded broadleaf weeds. So make the easy decision, Moccasin 2 Plus. To learn more, contact your local distributor or UPL representative. Always read and follow label directions. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. 
Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgriLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. With the success of the Case IH Tiger Quad Track and Magnum Road Track tractors, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us. Because Case IH offered the first five axle design to give you more power to the ground with less berming and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, we'd be blushing. To learn more, visit caseih.com tracks. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. And I get a question from Adam, and he said, I'm in northern Illinois, and I've got an issue with wild parsnip. I've got, uh, I burned everything off in this ground. I planted alfalfa, red clover, a couple types of ryegrass, orchard grass, and timothy. However, I didn't get a chance to spray a herbicide right after I burned because of all the rain. So, of course, everything's starting to green up. I hurried, put the seed down before it got too green. Everything coming up is good, but I'm noticing a lot of wild parsnip. Now, this hay is going to be baled for our horses, and I just read parsnip is toxic to animals, so I don't want to get that in the bales. Is there anything I can do to kill the parsnip off now without killing the clover and other types of grass that are up out of the ground? Well, I can answer that question with 100% certainty, Adam. No, there isn't. No. There's nothing you can safely spray over that mix. And it's a challenge because you've got broadleaves and grasses that you want to save. There, There isn't a herbicide that's specific enough for wild parsnip. So, no, this is something we talk about all the time on the show here. I bet, I'll bet you at least once a week we get a question about this same type of thing. How do I kill a weed? And they say, I've got a mix of grass and broadleaf crops together. What I say every single time the question comes up is what we'd really encourage you to do in the future is take half your acres or whatever percent of your acres you want and raise the grass and the other percent and raise the broadleaves. That way you've got methods to control weeds in each one. You can do a better job with fertility for that particular crop and you don't in effect have weeds growing up among your crop. So in the alfalfa, uh, or, or, or in the clover, grass is a weed. In the grass, the clover is a weed. So you've got competing things. And I'm just trying to say here, you will produce more tonnage, I will guarantee you, if you split these things out, raise some only grass only, some clover only, and then go from there. Oops, I like we, that solution. We have, we have to keep turning Darren's <laughs> mic off today. Well, so. I'm making noise over here. Well, okay, I compiled a list, Brian, of products that actually work 
controlling wild parsnip. Now, glyphosate's one of them, and you can right. certainly do it in a burn down. If, let's and- say, you had Roundup-ready alfalfa, though, then you have a, a really good way to control weeds. In clover, there aren't a lot of broadleaf options. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so here's some other things, and I'm just thinking about what could we have done if you said, all right, I'm not, I haven't planted yet. I've got the wild parsnip up. I need to burn it down. You could use glyphosate. That would be a good thing. Okay, distinct is very good on wild parsnip, like so much better than and just you can straight use dicamba. Okay. Uh, di- distinct would be really good. And yeah, if you just had the grasses, that would probably be your best choice. If you're in a perennial pasture that isn't going to have clover and those kinds of things, milestone or amino pyrrolid actually works really, really well, but that doesn't sound like your situation. So 2,4-D, 70 to 90%, depending on which studies you look at. Uh, a couple of the SU-type products, Escort is pretty good, Metsulfuron. Uh, Classic's pretty good, Chlorosulfuron. But I, I don't know, to me, those products are hit and miss a little bit. Yeah, but everything you listed there can be used in the grass. It will all kill the clover, or at least severely yeah, I don't find anything that's safe to do in the clover. So you've just got to do a good job with burn down and nope. then get that But the only thing that you can use in both grass and clover, well, there's one herbicide. It's called Bucktril. They, in fact, Bucktril's so old, they don't even uh, make the name brand Bucktril anymore. It'll be some generic like Brox, for example. That won't kill your clover. It won't kill your grass. But it also, unfortunately, won't kill your weed. Yeah, definitely, definitely don't hand pull that. Wild parsnip will create some serious burns on your skin, so stay stay away from oh, that Use one. gloves. Use gloves. You can do it. Get your brother to use some gloves. Okay, uh, next question. This one comes from Simon, and he said, I live in eastern Washington state. I've been fighting wild elm trees for years. I've dug out all the large ones, but I've got hundreds of new sprouts coming every year, and I've been mowing them off with my brush hog but I just want to be done with them for good. Wondering, do you know any spray that I could use to try and wipe these things out once and for all? Well, my first thought is what we always used to do with trees is Tordon, and that's pretty decent, but it lasts in the soil for a crazy long time. One of the things that a lot of people will do now if they don't want all that residual is Remedy Ultra. So if you look right in the label, Remedy Ultra is labeled to control elm trees. So that is probably what I would do. All right. Thanks for the question and good luck, Simon. Yeah, it's not easy. Those, uh, all yeah, those little but, suckers that are coming up are, are tough. But there are a few different products out there that can give you control. Spike is another one. I'm not sure about Milestone, but if I had to guess, I'd say it'll probably have some activity. But anyway, yeah, you've got some choices. Remedy Ultra is probably the best just because you have no residual there, so you don't have to worry about what you're going to plant to moving forward. All right. I uh, got a question about one of our Ag PhD apps. Uh, this one uh, comes in from MD, and he said, I'm in North Carolina. I'm chopping forage sorghum right now, and I'm yielding about 25 tons per acre. Your fertilizer removal app claims I've got about 700 pounds of nitrogen, 1,050 pounds of potassium, and other nutrients, and that amount of removal seems quite high to me. I'm just re- Wondering, are those fertilizer removal rates correct? It's Marty. Oh, it's Marty's MD. Okay, gotcha. All right, Marty. So, uh, yeah, the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app is is pretty handy. It's one of my favorites because uh, you can type in just about any crop. So I'm just pulling that up right now on my phone. Uh, forage sorghum. Have you got it up yet, Brian? Well, yeah, but, I mean, usually we're talking dry material. So 25 tons. I mean, for a lot of the tonnage things that we have on the, without even looking, I'm going to assume we're talking dry matter. So if it's dried down, how many tons are you actually raising? 
or, or you know, how many are you getting? That That's where I'm going with this. So he's talking wet tons. Our figures are for dry tons. So what's he, what's he going to have left? You know, 10 dry tons or something. I, yeah, you know, whatever yeah, The moisture is. percentage is the big deal. And here's right. the thing. with any, Anytime you're chopping forage, we strongly recommend just take a sample, send it into the lab, have a nutrient analysis done, and you can figure out how many pounds you're pulling off there exactly. The, the tough thing is just that sometimes it's not completely even, so your sampling is going to really determine how good of results you get. So I, I would – Try that on your farm. Take take some samples. Take a couple different ones, maybe even send them into a lab for a nutrient analysis. They can tell you. They can also tell you the moisture percentage and so forth, uh, so you can kind of figure out exactly how many pounds per acre you're actually removing. I agree with you. That sounds pretty high to me. Uh, I don't I don't think that's necessarily uh, right for wet tons. So do take a look at that again and, and send a sample into a lab, Marty. All right, uh, get a couple of... I, I'm positive it's dry tons, and uh, yeah. uh, so Janelle, just send Alex a note on that and make sure he puts up their dry matter. If you look under, like, sorghum sedan grass, it does say DM or dry matter, and we just need to have that notation on the on the forage sorghum as well. All right, what else you got for us, Darren? All right, Brian, got a couple of questions around glyphosate. Uh, Michael said, uh, I think with glyphosate, it's not so much that it's immediately toxic to people, but it's just a potential carcinogen over a long period of time. Yeah, so is everything else. Randy says, uh, I'm disappointed well, wait, stop, that you guys stop, keep stop. talking wait, about wait, wait. glyphosate because uh, I don't agree with you that wait. it doesn't affect humans. I think it affects the microbes in a human's body, and that's going to cause us problems. Okay, okay stop. Let's I'm go. really summarizing this quickly. Yeah, I know. Just going back to the first thing, and when I say, everything can cause cancer literally every almost every substance on the planet can cause cancer if it's overdone and it's the the wrong person so okay so the epa just came out again and they said it's not a cause cancer right no way so i don't i I don't understand then why why are you saying it's going to cause cancer then if it if the epa just once again i'm not saying it does i'm just saying that almost anything can so i i mean what's in your clothing that you're wearing right now this minute how about any cologne you spray or deodorant or soap or shampoo um, household cleaners I, I mean anything there are just substances out there and the EPA is doing the best that they can with the testing and de- determining at what point can you possibly get a lethal dose well the lethal dose for glyphosate is and here's where I'm going with this Darren the lethal dose is 5600 milligrams per kilogram of body weight and I have that memorized because I bring this up all the time because the lethal dose for caffeine Caffeine can kill you. The lethal dose for caffeine is 200. So in other words, it would take 28 times more glyphosate to kill you than caffeine. Yet, how about banning caffeine? Why don't we have some big national initiative? Maybe I need to start that, Darren, to say, well, if we're going to ban glyphosate, then we better darn well ban caffeine. And by the way, we're going to have to ban gasoline for sure. That's one of the most dangerous substances on the planet. Well, I'm okay with and the we're, gasoline, we're Brian, but don't take away my day. caffeine. I kind of <laughs> well, need that. I, I just, like a little bit of that I, every I'm day. just saying, hey, if we're going to talk banning glyphosate, we're going to have to ban about 90% of the products that we use today because they are way more dangerous than glyphosate, and it's not even close. No, and it's getting so political. That's that's the disappointing thing about this whole thing that people aren't really watching what's actually happening in science well thanks for all the questions that came in today and thanks for listening to our show and be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio